Hello and welcome to the Promised Land, a show about Manchester United and part of the Nighty Min Podcast Network. Apologies, everyone. We're a day later than we said that we would be. Uh, busy stuff happening, Rob. Although yeah, Rob is sporting some new Stone Roses X Man United collection on the podcast I today, am. if you're watching it. I'm modelling it today. Yes, here it is. Uh, and I, I, I like to think, Scott, as we, we wore this capsule for the last game that it brought us luck old school 90s luck because that's what man united relied on a little bit and got a fantastic famous victory there at villa park so no, no i quite like it i think it's quite a nice shirt and uh united have done some bad shirts over the years so it's nice to see a good one mm -hmm. uh not sure how it works for my color blindness um because green and red are the ones i confuse it is busy but, isn't it? it is a busy yeah. obviously it's i like it though it's, it's very i'm very, sure very i've good. got like i don't know like i've got the the album in here somewhere this is all alphabetical by the way because i'm very anal about it so uh the stone roses cover is in there and the s's um so yeah it's a classic cover isn't it and if you're a little bit older then this kind of print design means something to you so it was nice to see it on a manual kit yeah today we'll talk a little bit about what happened sunday afternoon Man United taking a big win at Aston Villa. It was a big win, obviously. They rode their luck at times, but Scott McTominay, world's greatest uh how do we what 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 do we what do we think he is, Rob? Is he uh can we call him match winner? He's won more points for United this season than Mo Salah has for Liverpool, Erling Haaland has for Man for Man City, and Son has for Tottenham. 12 points, I believe, his goals have brought United. I was just about to say the pressing statistic out of that is that he has gained Man United 12 points on his own this year, which if we think about it, if we take 12 points off what United have now, I'm not convinced the manager has a job. <laughs> like, that is it. Like, 12 points is a lot of points, isn't it? So what is Scott McTominay? It, it, I don't know. Maybe we can have that discussion today because I don't think Scott McTominay is your answer to anything. But there is this reason why with 60 or 70 minutes on a clock, that Eric Ten Hag goes to him because Eric Ten Hag looks at him and says, right, you're one of those people that will be in the box and might get me the goal I need if we're kind of running out of ideas. And I think at Villa Park, it did feel a little bit like that, Scott. I think at that moment you bring him on, it was a little bit like, well, Scott, he's not going to help you keep the ball, but he might score you a goal. And of course, that goal was very Scott McTominay, wasn't it? Swung in the box, gets up there, heads it down into the back of the net three points um sometimes it's very sim simplistic football isn't it it's like score a goal and that's your solution but i think overall as well you know that that cannot be your go-to i think for the rest of the season if you're trying to look after a football or try and dominate some parts of possession because i think that was the big takeaway for me scott with the game is that united gave away a lot in that game but got away with it you know 2-1 was a good result i think off the back of how the the game kind of panned out this is Villa, though. I mean, they've beaten City, they've beaten Arsenal. It's not many people expected United to go there and win. Although maybe I thought that I kind of had a sneaking suspicion that they they might end up doing it. Um, but obviously, that win brought United to within what's that five points of Aston Villa, who were fifth. Hmm. Uh, Bubakar Kamara did his ACL in that game. Very very important player uh, to Aston Villa, and. United have won three in a row in the Premier League. What a run. They've got zero goal difference. Nine finally, out of nine. Nine points 24 out of nine. matches. After 24 matches, they finally have zero goal difference. 
can they get into positive territory? We will see. Um, but I think for me, the other the other day, obviously, you want to see United go and play Villa off the park, but probably Ten Hag is in the in the position of thinking, I just need I need points. We need we need to win. We need to catch up. And obviously, Tottenham took a win in injury time against who did they play? I've forgotten. Completely forgotten. Huh? Brighton. Brennan Brighton, Johnson it was Brighton. Scored against Your favourite team, Brighton. Yes, my, my favourite team, Brighton. And now United are five points ahead of seventh and five points off fifth. So they could go one of two ways, but they have Luton coming up and I think they play Fulham or Everton or, or, or somebody in the next week or so before a trip to Manchester City. So if you if you think, take two more wins, keep the heat on, keep the pressure on. They're back in the mix for top four or five. I think we've, uh, when you think about this, it, it's a weird thing to suggest that you would like Liverpool to go far in the Europa League and Man City to go far or Arsenal to go far in the Champions League and even Villa to go far in the Conference League because it will probably mean that fifth place is secured as a Champions League spot for next season. So United are in that that territory. But they are in that conversation. It seemed like they were miles, miles and miles away from it just a few weeks ago. Yeah, you're in the conversation, but I'm going to stick to my guns on it with the league. Is that is that looking at the table, I still think when you look at our performances and you look at like maybe the wider aspects of the football is it's so delicate, Scott, that you kind of like you could fall off a cliff so easily. Like yesterday, Chelsea go and win their game, don't they, against Crystal Palace. And the whole of the spiel afterwards was, oh, are Chelsea finding themselves under Pochettino? And I'm thinking... They were week, awful, yes. Wasn't it a week? Well, wasn't it a week ago? The whole world was doing content about how bad Chelsea are. It's like that was a week ago. It wasn't. It wasn't. A week, you know, it wasn't like a month ago or two months ago. And I think I think the same counts for Man United. I'm happy with the fact that we got the win because I think that showed character. And when Scotty scores the goal, I don't know about you. We talked about this, about you know how we celebrate all of us individually, like in those moments. I didn't celebrate that goal at all. I just sat there like almost a bit numb because I was thinking. We're not going to get anything out of this game because we were getting turned over at that point. And obviously, as you get a counter attack, a little bit of brilliant dancing from Cobby in the in the in the corner gets the ball to Delo. Brilliant cross from Delo and a great header. But I just kind of sat there because I was like, like God. The difference is, Scott. I think a few weeks ago that goal just doesn't come. Man United are starting to score goals again, and that helps, doesn't it? That like you can actually put the ball in the net. You just mentioned the goal difference there. Kind of embarrassing that we're on zero, but that's where we are. That's where we've been, been this season. And you've got to just try and approach each game now. More worried about going to Luton Town, I am, than I was about Villa Park. So I think United showed in the last game yeah, that's <laughs> Villa that they can get at Villa. And obviously they did that again. Um, Luton actually are on a good run of form, even though they're still losing games. I've watched them and they're, they're playing some decent football. So it'll be... A little bit concerned about a trip to Kenworth Road, but um, but you you're winning you're winning more games now. Like you just said, there winning three on the spin is is really the the tonic here, isn't it? Is that even if you've got problems still, just win football matches because that's all that matters at the end of the season. If you come fourth or fifth and you get Champions League, then we can kind of forgive a lot of the stuff that we've seen. Yeah, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and watch us on YouTube as well. The Promise Land, a Manchester United podcast. Like the video, leave a comment, subscribe, hit the notification bell. Follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders at underscore Rob underscore P 
and at TPL MUFC. Also join our Man United WhatsApp channel through 90 Min. There might be some clips from this show going on there. If you haven't already, the link should be in the description of this show. Yeah, we'll talk about Villa today. We'll also talk a little bit about the bigger picture. I mentioned to Sir Jim Ratcliffe, who, according to an SEC filing, has substantially more. What, what's the quote? Let me see. What's the quote? Uh, significantly, significantly in excess. His net worth is significantly in excess of $4 billion. Uh, according to an SEC filing, as we just wait for everything to be ratified. Uh, we're not too far away from it now. But yes, uh, interesting, interesting development. <clears throat> Where do you want to go from here, Rob? Do you want to particularly highlight anybody from, from the weekend? It's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I think, again, when you've won a game, and especially in the way that you won it with a big kind of hoo-ha at the end of a match, then it things get forgetting quite quickly. Like we're now two games past the actual game, isn't it? And emotions quell. I do think that in the football match, like after the first 20 minutes, you went into typical Man United dysfunction mode. Like I don't think the performance was particularly good for the majority of the game. I think Casemiro got targeted, but I think he sorted it out in the second half and actually did his job and, and helped the defence as he did. I think Varane was the same. But it's just worrying, isn't it, that you lose Luke Shaw in the match, obviously, and at halftime, and your choice is Victor Lindelof in a 4-1-4-1, and it did not work at all. You got targeted all over the pitch. So I think Villa will feel pretty aggrieved, Scott. They didn't get anything out of that game because they dominated those, those phases quite, I think, conclusively in the second half. But, of course, the question is, what can Eric Ten Hag do? Is, is, I think his hands are tied behind his back with his personnel, and if he wants to play his system. but you know, I think the thing I've put on the table and will say repeatedly is that maybe you have to tweak your system. And it's that's a hard thing to say, but I think that's just where we are with it. And it's up to him, isn't it? Because I think if we go forward now for two, three, four weeks without Luke Shaw, then if Lindelof's your left back, then I don't feel great about that. Uh, Malassia's not far away, is he? Is it? He must be closer now. He's, he's, been... he's on the, he's closer than he's ever been, obviously. But yeah. You know, if you're coming off an injury that you've been out with for six months, then surely you're still a matter of weeks away. That's the problem, isn't it? It's getting people up to speed and not get not repeating injuries and stuff like that. Obviously, we've just seen we've lost Lissandro. And now Luke Shaw's suffering with these things. So uh, I think, again, that's something to look forward to in the future, transferring to Scott, about buying players that maybe have better fitness records. And that's... Yeah, I, I think that's a... That's a must, really. That's a takeaway here. And it, it sounds so simple, doesn't it? But it, it really, it's strategic. Like, you do have to look at players' histories and really go with it. Of course, player can get injured at any time. It's just it's what it is. I think with Luke Shaw coming back at left back, what you just see, Scott, is that already in the last few weeks, Marcus Rashford's so much better. That's because he's got a left back that can overlap, <clears> open the pitch up for him and do more technical things. So if you lose him and it's Victor Lindelof, guess what? Luton Town is not going to be fun. It isn't. So you're going to have to find a way to negate what Luton can do. Because Luton, I think, have got good attacking options and have done well in their kind of their own expectations. Um, but of course, they're not winning games. But Man United come to town, Scott. Oh, it's a party, isn't it? They would love to beat mm. Man United. So United are going to have to be defensively better at Luton and maybe just play more swift counter-attack football. When you say change the system, then we had a, we had a chat off this before, about mm. this before we started recording. What do you mean? So he is 
eternally obsessed with 4141 and all its variations. So 4141, 4231, all just variations of 433, yeah, tactically. So if you want to play 433 and those systems, cool, brilliant. But what we've seen at Man United, I think, over a long time, even going back to Solskjaer, was that Solskjaer wanted to play 4-3-3 but couldn't couldn't play it overtly, so he played a double pivot. Because all he could think is that McFred needs to look after these areas. And that was because of the wider personnel in the team, the 11. I think when you look at Eric Ten Hag, he's caught between a rock and a hard place because as soon as he loses Alessandro Martinez, who's his ball-progressing centre-back, as soon as you lose your left-back who overlaps in Luke Shaw, the whole system becomes null and void. The system just fragments. What do I mean? Well, it means that people can just run at Casemiro with no one around him and just find the space. That's not because Casemiro is X, Y, or Z. That's the system. That's because Casemiro can't do that function. He's not going to be able to run with people. So I, what I say is when you look at left back, if your choice is Victor Lindelof, then really you probably be playing a system that's more narrow and bringing Lindelof into the channel as opposed to being wide on the left. What we saw against um, against Villa was that when when he got the ball wide on the on that left hand side, he didn't have an out ball at all, did he? It was either back to the goalkeeper, inside, or kind of kicking it out of play over there. The manager sometimes that you have to compromise how you're coaching and say, right, do you know what? I can't do that here because we'll actually concede a goal. And I think that's just where where he is. And if we go to Luton and we lose because of the system. We'll have to highlight the system. We can't just say, oh, it's because of Casemiro being slow or it's because Victor Lindelof is a rubbish left back. So these are the yeah, choices. You're, you're saying, like, and you're saying change system to what? I think that I still think plenty of teams will do it. They'll change to something that's more narrow with a three at the back and five in midfield. And you can do that to shore up and you can play more counter attack. I think one of the things for Man United is that we are seeing now in the last few weeks that the front three are really popping. So it feels like everything is kind of around that. It's about how do you get the front free scoring you go goals. Now they're doing that. So it's 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 hard because you don't want to change the system to affect that. You don't want to go say two at the top. Would it be Rashford coming more inwards? We've always said, haven't we, Rashford and Garnacho better in the wider areas. Now Hoyland's definitely his performances have really gone up, I think, at centre forward. But this is the the manager either has to protect or attack. And I think that sometimes that balance isn't there because of the personnel. That means you have to tweak the system. I would go 4-2-3-1 as a natural thing to put, play, play a double pivot to protect, especially if you've got left, if you've got fullbacks you can't trust. So that's up to the manager. Like he hasn't played a lot of 4-2-3-1 this year, Scott, whereas last year he played a lot of it. This year he's literally not gone to it at all. Um, because he's played something more more expansive, which I get, I understand. I think I think Cobby gives you that option because he can play the eight. I think Bruno can play the eight to an extent but I think you're kind of leaving Casemiro on an island really and I think if you go to Luton Town Luton will look at that and go well if you want to play 4-1-4-1 we were just going we're just going to look at your single pivot we look at the wider areas we're going to attack those areas systematically if you're not going to change your system for it great carry on you know we'll try and beat you that way if you can make it work Scott great like Lindell comes at left back and it all works yay but you'll still have Lindell at left back in a 4-2-3-1 you still ha- exactly, but I think it's safer to be able to cover that position with a double pivot. So that's a system change. You'd be able to go to two there and look after Casemiro and Victor Lindelof. The issue is as well is that when you lose a Shaw and when you lose a Martinez, is that it's kind of taking out what they do individually. Like they do great stuff in the system, but individually they can bring you out from the back on their own. They are they're talented enough. I think you saw Lindelof against Villa. 
one of the fears was that when the ball was at his feet, he was trying to go up the one up the line to help to help Rashford, and obviously Rashford then obviously went off. But you could see that the whole balance was gone out of the team, and and you basically rolled the dice for the second half, and you won the game. But it was a roll of the dice. It wasn't any anything tactically brilliant. I know managers like to stick with their systems, but we saw it with Jurgen Klopp last year, and he's done it previously at Liverpool, is that he's gone from his 4-3-3 to a more reductive 4-2-3-1 to look after spaces. They're tactical choices, Scott. That's all it is at the end of the day. And I think that's what the manager will have to decide here is do you go to Luton and just try and win 3-0 and stick with your system and go full full forwards towards your centre-forward? Or are you going to try and stop the opponent at times? Mate, it's going to be a bit of both. Systems can also change in-game, Scott. Like, they don't have to be 4-1-4-1 for 90 minutes. You can do different things and and flip your system, but I'm not quite sure Ten Hag feels he has those choices systematically, which is sad because I think you, you've got to develop those things over a long period of time. It's I not mean, a slant at the manager. It's not the slant at the manager. It really is not criticism of him. These are the choices he has to make, and if you lose at Luton... Those things will be on the table. That's all it is. You, you, we will have to talk about them because they are, because they're valid. And yeah, I think biggest... I think you're telling him to change system in game, but he does though. Like when you put McTominay off the striker, mm. yeah. I, I mean, to me, I think there were elements in that game where, yeah, obviously Casemiro got run, but mm. I feel like he did tweak it. Yeah, he did. And it, it, it worked. And you're asking him to change the system from... No, I'm, I'm asking him I'm to confused. do that more. Tweak systems more. Like, this is it. I think quite often throughout this campaign, he has stuck to his guns and we've been punished. And that's why I've criticised that. But you're right. I think in off ball, we went 4-4-2 at times in, in the game against Villa. And it worked because it keeps McTominay in a part of the pitch where he's less of a problem. <laughs> and that is it. You want him in the box anyway, don't you? And that ball comes in, he's almost like a centre forward. So really the question should be, do you go to a 4-4-2? Do you do something like that and 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 really dig your heels in and go, right, we sit with the system because it actually works to look after the space a little bit more? Uh, I think the problem is, is that when you're asking Scott McTominay to be a jack-of-all-trades in midfield, which has happened a lot this season because of your injuries and one thing or another, is that you get punished. And that's it. So, like, I, I don't think it was genius to bring on it, Scott McTominay in the second half, but this is what the manager goes to because at least Scotty gives him goals. And as you said, 12 points this season is proof in, in the pudding, isn't it? It's to show that that he's earned his place, I think, through those points. But if that's your your default going forward next season or whatever like that, and obviously all we're saying is that that probably isn't a very clever way of doing it. But... It... He's, he's limited in a sense. And like, I know that I'm the Definitely. guy that defends Ten Hag all the time uh, because I feel like there's so much eh, granted, like fair criticism of him. Mm. He's using tools which are not fit for a system. And when you when you talk about, look at that back three. You don't have a, they have one ball playing centre back mm. in the entire squad. One. Yeah. And he's injured. He's been injured for the last year, essentially. And then your backup left back is has been injured all season. Mm. Your first choice left back has been injured on and off for most of the season. And then you end up with playing Rafa Varane, who's slowing down past his best. I know Harry Maguire is getting some praise. He got player of the match for his Mm. aerial prowess the other day. But we know that he tried to shop him last summer. And Victor Lindelof, I don't think he's going to be part of this long term either, if if they can sell him. It's just they haven't, he hasn't been able to, give the squad a facelift 
And Mc, uh, throw McTominay into that as well. They tried to they tried to sell him last season, but he's limited by the fact that United can't shift these players on. So he has to make do with the qualities that they do have. And that then, or their limitations then show up in the ability that he has to play a system he wants to play. Mm. So I, th- I think for me, as long as we see elements or like parts of flashes, maybe maybe flashes of like football that I think he wants to play. And I think we have seen that at times this season, just not very regularly. As long as the results come with it, I think he he's owed another year. Uh, per- personally, I do. Uh, obviously, if he comes seventh, then I think that's uh, it's a uh, it's going to be a no go. But if he gets if he, if he qualifies for the Champions League and you see flashes of what he wants to do, for me that's enough. Maybe not for everyone, but for me that's enough. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. Like, I don't know if it's owed. I'd like it earned. So, like, I think the thing is, is that I think it's really, I think it's right and proper and salient to say that everything you just said there is totally, totally factual in the sense that. You know, he's not had choices, is he? Like, the squad's squad's not good enough, and that's hurt him to be able to do the things he wants to do. I still think that, ultimately, you will get judged on results or how those games petered and panned out. Now, I do think the good thing is, Scott, and this is a positive, is that he has figured things out in games. So, like, he did figure it out against Villa. Like, that was his choice. You know, he brought brought Scott on. We might not like Scotty on the deck or some of the things that Scotty does expansively, but you set up, you, you tweak your system to go something like 4-4-2 off ball, and that gives you the chance to then push him into the box and you score the goal and you win the game. That is literally the whole philosophy and ethos of sport is that your choices impact results both positively and negatively. And I think with Eric... He's had so many things to contend with since he's been at Man United, like go back to day one from Ronaldo all the way through. <laughs> like there's been so many things with the playing squad. And he's at a place now where I think hopefully players are coming back, but you're still seeing that as soon as you lose one, two or three, that you're in a in a bit of a dodgy predicament. So I think that I think that if 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 things go okay and you get Champions League, then yeah, you give him another year. Like, what's the point? You haven't really got much lined up behind the scenes. There's there's not a there's not another manager choice out there that is screaming you know not not screaming no and 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 i think we also have to give value to the fact that ineos have been operating in football for a while now behind the scenes and even though they've only been at man united five minutes is that they will have their own ideas about coaching with sporting direction and those kind of things so they will have coaches in their mind that maybe we've not even talked about you know like you know not necessarily the biggest names and they might feel that stylistically a coach fits what they want to do more. So that we've talked about that a lot in the past, but I just think with with Ten Hag, is that making those right decisions on the touchline is such a an unbalanced ecosystem. It's hard because you just make one tiny mistake, and sometimes it isn't even a mistake. You lose a game, and then it gets highlighted, and it's it's a problem. Um, you win the game at Villa Park shouldn't really be a problem. No one should be upset about that. But I still don't think the performance was fantastic. And what can you do about that? And what can you really do when you lose Luke Shaw at half time? So losing Luke Shaw now, it's too one player shouldn't be disappointing important, but it is, isn't it? We need Luke Shaw back and fit and healthy. It's, it's worth a conversation though about Shaw. Like we're, we're talking about him like he's going to be out for ages, but it, he did say it was precautionary. So we haven't heard anything yet about how precautionary or how serious it is. Yeah. I mean, the hope is that he's back for Sunday, but when you say precautionary, does that mean, oh, it was a precaution, he's going to be out for two weeks, but also like the precaution was if he'd, we'd have kept him on, he'd be out for four months. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's uh, uh, It was the right call 
in that in that time and he, he pointed to Luke Shaw's injury record previously about needing to do it before it got too serious. But there is a wider conversation to to have here. And this is this comes down to squad building. And mm. I look at that back four. I know he's brought Onana in. Malassia has been out injured, obviously, and then you got Martinez. But then that back four was there before he got here. And how many of them actually... Dallo, I think... I know you're usually hypercritical of Dallo, but I think there's the... He's winning some people over. Uh, Luke Shaw is there as well. But, you know, if you're that reliant on him to be able to play a system, you, you need a you need a backup who can compete with him and even take his place, I think. Because if, if you get to a point where Luke Shaw is the first choice and then he drops down three weeks into the season, he's out for four weeks, five weeks, six weeks. You know, I, I, you need strength in depth here. And I pointed to it, pointed to it at the start of the show. If you've only got one ball playing centre-back, I, I think United need two centre-backs this, this summer. I don't know if they will, but I think they do. Who can play the ball? Both sides. And, and this is why we criticise the overall recruitment at Manchester United, because I think the thing is there, you're talking about Luke Shaw. It's not actually Luke Shaw, the human being. It's about the position. So if you want your left-back to do yeah. X, Y, and Z, then the players you bring in have to almost replicate what that player does. Now, do I think that Tyrell Malassia would be able to replicate what Luke Shaw does on that left-hand side? Well, the answer to that is no. So even though he's a proper left-back, he's probably not going to help you that much more than Victor Lindelof in many ways. Victor Lindelof is a centre-back playing in a wider area. The funny thing with Lindelof is that when he has played before, going back over years, he's played at right-back more. So you could see how terrified he looked at left-back at Villa Park, you know, but he's coming there to help the team. So... This is what when, it, when we you, got... did you find it weird he didn't move Dallow out there and put Lindelof on the right? But I think I think there was part of it was oh Dallow's getting a, a decent run here. I'll keep him in that position. Well, we talk about D- Dallow having decent run right. I, I've heard this a lot. He's, he's had two or three decent games. Like 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 he's he's not elevated to like an, a level where I think oh wow he's changed or something's changed. I would have done I, that. I, I, I agree. I definitely I agree. played him left back. There huh? was a uh, there was a moment where he sh- he shanked the clearance. <laughs> which left, which fell to an Aston Villa player, and he just trickled it at Onana. But if that had gone, in, oh, I remember that. That was the bad. Conversation is completely different. <laughs> exactly, that goes in the net. Then we're talking about how terrible Delow is. I, I think that that is a natural change, Scott, in this system at four one four one. Is that to put Lindelof at right back and Delow at left back? Now the manager chose not to do that. That's fine. You won the games. Nothing really to talk about. But I do look at those little decisions and micro decisions in games. They are tactical decisions. And and I think Lindelof at left back doesn't work for me at all. And I don't think it should work for anyone. I think he just was trying to patch a hole. Um, at least Lind- at least Delow on the left has got l- those properties to go forward and to help the forwards on that side. We saw it with the goal, didn't we, on the right-hand side, is that he can swing the ball in with his right foot. So that, I think that's why the manager keeps him that side. Well, um, yeah, Lindelof couldn't have he's, that from the right. Because he's right foot, and Lindelof doesn't, exactly doesn't do that. So the manager is justified in that micro-decision because it helps you win the game. I just think if you're setting up at Luton Town and the way Luton play, and if Luton look at that, they will expose those weaknesses. But then again, the, it's like, what is your choice? You know, What do you want to do? Is there a way of tightening up your system to make sure that you don't leave these holes? My big concern, Scott, going forward in the next few weeks is the number six. Casemiro, Casemiro can do you good stuff in there, but his lack of mobility exposes everything. Hey, exposes- we've been saying that since week one. Exactly. <laughs> so, so the manager's choice will be, do I play 4-1-4-1 with 
this Brazilian who has got all these medals and, and it definitely can give you big spells in games where he helps you. There's no doubt about it. But every team is going to be sat there with their iPads and their tactic sheets and their, and their laptops. And they're going to be looking at it and they're going to be putting a big marker and circle around the number six. And they are going to be trying to exploit that every single week. And you've got to negate that somehow. So I think the only thing you can do is getting Cobby a little bit deeper to look after that. And I think Cobby does do that. Like he's more box to box, isn't he? Like he'll come and defend and he definitely is getting up the pitch, which I'm really happy to see. I don't know about you. Really happy to see kind of Cobby in those advanced areas. The goal, as oh, I said, yeah. comes from Cobby in the corner. You know, he, he's getting the ball, he keeps the ball, he lays it off. And and I think that Manu can give you so much going forward as well as, as, as defensively. I don't think he's just a natural number six. But th now the manager, I think if you don't have Luke Shaw, you're going to have to find a ways to stop teams hurting you because it's it won't be good enough if we get to the end of the season, Scott, and we come sixth. If we come sixth and Champions League is fifth and we go, oh, it was because it was because of injuries or it was because of this or that or the other or recruitment, the managers still get judged by it by Jim Ratcliffe. Ratcliffe will look at it and say, right, do we go into next year and invest one, two, three, four hundred million in this squad in this window? And has this manager shown me enough? Fingers crossed, Ten Hag gets what he needs out of this. I think if he does get Champions League, he'll get another 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 crack at it another year and you're right there isn't a lot of managers out there that you just go yeah that's the perfect choice like I Xabi like Alonso's the in name but he's well, Liverpool's isn't he <laughs> I think he's Liverpool's but I also like it it will be interesting to see what FSG do at Liverpool yeah because even though Xabi Alonso is a kind of obvious choice they might not go that route they, re they really might not they might you know ownerships do make bad decisions sometime. I do think United, if they were looking at a manager, Alonso's on the list. Definitely on the list. You know, so we don't know if uh, if any of us are doing that canvassing already, talking to people behind the scenes, going, Would you like to manage our, new, our football club that we've just gone and purchased? You know, so I like Shabby Alonso. He's flavor of the month, but I think he's kind of a progressive coach that could go in and do a, a job over a number of years. Um, well, that's the thing. And I come back to this point every time. So was Eric Ten Hag when United hired him. Absolutely. So you need, just need to remember profile. that. You just yeah. need to, people need to remember that, that Eric Ten Hag was hired because of that. And Xabi Alonso's had barely 70 games as a manager. I know he's doing well, but, you know, things yeah. take time. And I think... Uh, with with Ten Hag for me, I think there's a lot lots of square pegs and round holes that he's using at the minute, and I don't think we'll be able to see exactly what he wants to do until those players are replaced. But anyway, um, in terms of uh, players being replaced, they maybe we'll see something different this summer in the sense of Sir Jim Ratcliffe is soon to be ratified as twenty five percent. His, his ownership is soon to be ratified or his part ownership is soon to be ratified by the Premier League and the FA, you'd expect. There was, there's a an SEC filing which was released on Monday night, UK time. Been floating around a bit and uh, there was a, an excerpt from it, which I will read. As of February 12th, 2024, James A. Ratcliffe's liquid assets primarily consisting of cash and readily marketable securities, were in excess of $4 billion. James A. Ratcliffe's net worth is significantly in excess of those liquid assets. That's been floating around. There's, there's other parts to this as well, but I think we just wanted to bring up... I, I, I transitioned to it because 
obviously there's a lot of talk about the stadium. There's a lot of talk about actual investment. I think United are on the lines of PSR mm. and they will need to sell players. But could we see something? Could we actually see a new team come in and actually be able to clean up? I don't want to call it the mess, but clean up and do the things that the manager wants to do in the transfer market in terms of replacing players with or selling players better, buying new players fit to a system for better fees. <laughs> and obviously the stadium uh, comes alongside that as well. There's a, it's going to be a long process, but um, mm. yeah. Would you want to, would you want to pick out of that? My my opinion on that, was, when you link it also to recruitment and buying players, is that you can always get it right. It's a choice at the end of the day. When you buy players, you have to decide why you're buying them. And I think with Man United, again, the whole the whole myth of these is twofold, Scott. One myth that Man United don't spend any money on footballers. Well, they have. That's the truth. They've bought a lot of footballers over a long period of time. I think the thing with Eric Ten Hag, and being specific about the manager, is that he's actually had his way in the last year or two in the transfer market before... Ratcliffe came along and a lot of the signings were his types of signings. He would he was saying, I want Malassia at fullback, I want Martinez, I want Anthony. So he's bought plays. He was very high on Mason Mount, wasn't he? He was like, I want Mason Mount. They went and got him. So he has had a part of it. I do think that your strategy for your football club needs to be wider and run from the boardroom. So we will definitely be talking about the sports side and sporting director very, very soon about it. That's all there on the table to, to kind of come to fruition. But I think the other part of this here, Scott, is, is this real confusion with United fans is that what Jim Ratcliffe has bought. Jim Ratcliffe has bought the football team, not the football club. He's going to be putting his money into the football team. And guess what, guys? He's got the money. So this is the whole thing is that I actually think that when you look at these SEC filings is that, really what they tell us and what Man United believe is that Ratcliffe's actually got the money and proved it and that before that Qatar didn't prove it they asked for it Qatar didn't give that but that's an old conversation we know Qatar as a country is very rich but whatever was put on the table wasn't what the Glazers were happy with what was it so I think Ratcliffe can basically do what he wants Scott in the transfer market he'll be able to pump money into the football club and part of that will come through the whole spiel with Old Trafford now about what is the vision for Old Trafford? What kind of revenues can you make? Just uh, to put a bow on that. People don't realise that, again, like things like food at stadiums make teams incredible amounts of money. For Tottenham Hotspur, they make nearly a million quid a game. They've got beer that fills up from the bottom. <laughs> well, there you go. Beer that fills up from the bottom, Scott, sold. Uh, but the, the, the whole thing is, is that they, they, they get between 800,000 a game up to a million just on selling food and drink. Man United make pretty much zilch because all they do is sell a pie. So, like, this is why you change that your, your existence, your reality with a football stadium and you, you look more than just a football pitch or you look more than just a seat because all of it comes into buying players eventually somewhere down the line about revenues and man united have to do that and i think ratcliffe has identified that i think that's why they're going down this path because he will put his money in but he will also want man united to put our money in to an extent so you have to optimize that with the stadium um, i think it's all good scott i'm i'm happy with what i've seen from Ineos so far about how they're trying to conduct themselves behind the scenes you know and as i've said before and i'll say it again we're not jim ratcliffe fans we're not Ineos fans we're not their studios we're not here to do their work we're man united fans we're journalists we want to see balance and i think we're seeing that so far we just have to hope that it continues because 
The next transfer window will be really interesting because what happens? How do you do it? And I think it will be, I think it'll be run by a sporting director that says, right, we need to target these positions. We need two in every position and we're going to build that. And it might mean the players worth 2 million or 10 million. There's these players in the youth team are going to get more minutes. And yeah, Eric Ten Hag might not get absolutely everything he wants, Scott, but it's about balance and about giving him tools. You used that word earlier on, you know, and he needs the tools to be able to do the job. And it's totally true that this squad is not equipped to do absolutely everything that Eric Ten Hag wants it to do. Well, what he has done, and we'll wrap up in a second, what he has done is Harry Maguire, man of the match the other day, yeah. <laughs> Scott McTominay, match winner the other day, two players that, as I mentioned earlier, United tried to sell last summer. Mm. And what do you do with them? Well, what ten, maybe you can credit the players here, but maybe you have to credit the manager as well for forcing them to bring out the best in themselves. What what United have made them to into is now players who are established impact players in the Premier League and probably more probably more appealing to other clubs, maybe more so than they were a year ago. Completely. And this is why I often talk about building markets for players. You know, that's why you, you, you play them, but at the same time, you're trying to win games, aren't you? So we get to the summer transfer window. If you are going to buy a centre-back, you are going to buy a midfielder. Let's assume you are, because I think you've got to. Like, you've, got, you've really got a lot of choice. You've got to go and find someone. Then you either use Maguire in those deals and use McTominay in those deals, uh, or, or you, you at least try and get them to a football club where they're happy because that's the other side of it is that you know they can't just do what you want them to do if they're not happy about it it was always a lot of criticism of harry Maguire about why did you not leave the football club because you weren't getting minutes and that's your fault and i tried to explain at the time the man united didn't play his contract up so what are you going to do you're going to sit there and take your money but i think Maguire has shown that he's not the worst footballer in the world that he's not the worst center back in the world that he can do some things and i actually think scott the manager has learned to use him a little bit better this year. Like, he hasn't exposed him. Last year, when Maguire was in the team, very briefly, I think that we were playing systems and, and playing styles at the time that really hurt Maguire. So Maguire was getting run and looking like an idiot. So the manager, I think, has worked that out a little bit with the, with Maguire and built something for him and said, right, I want you to be my centre-back, but I want you to be aggressive going forward into the space. I want you to ball carry when you can, but I want you to look after what's behind you. I think Maguire's done that loads better, so much better than he had done in say, the previous year or two, where I think he was getting skinned so often. But it must be hard for Maguire, Scott, to start games now with Casemiro in front of him. That will be difficult because they're both slow and it means that opposition teams will look at that and say, right, we'll just stick someone in the middle there and we'll hurt them on the, on with the pace that we've got. Um, and fingers crossed, we don't get exposed in those moments. But I'm, I'm really happy with Maguire. Like, I can't say it enough. I think his performances have stunned me this year. He's really shown that that he can still do it. And he will definitely get a new football club next year. And I would not be surprised if we get to the end of the season and people are going, does Maguire get a new contract? Like, <laughs> funnier things have happened in football. But he's earning it the right way, isn't he? And you, you can't knock him for that. You really can't. Let us know in the comments what you think of Harry Maguire, Scott McTominay. The most important thing is United did win. Obviously, lots to unpack from that, but they're back in the mix, back in the hunt. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts, Apple and Spotify, and watch us on YouTube. Like the video, subscribe, leave a comment, hit the notification bell so you never miss a show, and follow us on social media at double underscore Scott Saunders 
at underscore Rob underscore B and at TPL MUFC until later this week. We'll look ahead to the Luton game. Anything that happens between now and the next time we record, we'll also discuss as well. Thanks for listening, everyone. This has been another Promised Land podcast episode. Until next time, be well. Have a great week. See you soon.